Good morning, everybody. Today's reading comes from near the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, when Jesus was contemplating going to Jerusalem and all that that would entail, ending with his crucifixion. Well, not ending with his crucifixion, but you know what I mean. Jesus needed to get the disciples away so that he could teach them. He was always followed by huge crowds wherever he went in Judea or Galilee. And he was also followed by scribes and Pharisees, leaders of the the church, the synagogue, that were trying to trick him up, trying to ask him difficult questions. And he just needed to get away from them all so that he had space to talk to the disciples in private. So they were heading up north, out of Galilee, into the region that's governed by Philip the Tetrarch, where Jesus was much less well-known because it was a mainly non-Jewish population. Caesarea Philippi was a really strange place to go. It's about 25 miles northeast of the Sea of Galilee in the foothills of Mount Hermon. And it was one of the most pagan places on the planet. It's not to be confused with the Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast, by the way. That's a bigger place and different. But Caesarea Philippi had loads of different ancient sites of worship. There were loads of, um, well, there were several temples of ancient Syrian Baal worship. There was a huge cave into the mountains, which was thought to be the birthplace of the Greek god Pan. And for that reason, the city was originally called Panias. Inside this cave was a massive cliff edge which dropped down into some really deep water. And that's where the springs of the Jordan were thought to originate. So it's really significant to Jewish people as well. And there was also an enormous white marble temple that you really couldn't miss that was in honour of Caesar. And originally built by Herod the Great, but then elaborated and beautified by his son Philip. And then Philip changed the name of the town to Caesarea Philippi, after Caesar and himself. The town is still there, but it's now called Banias. So, in this enormously religiously significant place, Jesus, who's thinking ahead towards his crucifixion, needs to know whether his message has got through and whether the church will ever be able to come into existence without him being there. So he confronts the disciples with this question of who he really is. It's almost as if he's setting himself against the background of all the world's religions and asking them to compare him with them and decide for themselves who is the genuine article. So he starts with the wider question, who do people say that I am? People who were comparing him with one of the great prophets were actually giving him the highest accolade they thought they could, humanly speaking. You see, they believed that the voice of prophecy had been dead for 400 years, that nobody had heard God speak in all that time. And they recognized that Jesus was somebody who was hearing God speaking and who was able to share what God was saying with everybody else. 
they couldn't quite take that step of recognizing Jesus as the Messiah because he wasn't what they were expecting the Messiah to be. He didn't restore the kingdom of David and boot the Romans out. He didn't rebuild the temple. He didn't restore all the laws of the old Torah. So they just thought he was a good man, a good teacher. But as C.S. Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity, there's no way that Jesus can have been a good man or a good moral teacher. He claimed to be the son of God. So either he was the son of God or he was a pernicious liar, or he was severely mentally ill with delusions. Now he didn't act like somebody who was severely mentally ill, and he didn't lie about anything else. And there's all the evidence, the evidence of him fulfilling the prophecies of the ancient prophets, and of all the things that he did when he was on earth, of healing people, of raising people to life. And then there's all the things that happened afterwards, that dramatic change in the apostles at Pentecost, and all the, the healings and the, the miraculous things that are still going on now, and people that are still hearing him. That's the evidence that you weigh against, maybe he was a liar, maybe he was a nutter. <laughs> That's what he's asking. So Peter's answer, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God must have been quite a relief for Jesus. So the new people of God, the new church, would be able to begin. Peter was to be the first stone in the building of the new church, which is a slightly confusing metaphor for us because Jesus is not talking about buildings. He's talking about people as the church. And in fact, Peter continues this metaphor of stones and buildings in 1 Peter 2 verse 5 he says you and that's all of us are like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices to God so we need to think about what our reading today means for us and what we can learn from it the first question has to be what about us what about you Who do you think Jesus is? And the second question would have to be, what are you doing with that information? You know, it is possible to know all about Jesus, and in fact to know all the theology that there is, and still not have a personal relationship with Jesus. People can be brought up by Christian parents, and can go to church all their lives, without actually making the individual decision that Jesus is God and they will become a Christian and accept his authority and follow him. During Jesus' trial, when Pilate asked Jesus if he was the king of the Jews, which is in uh, John 18 verse 33, Jesus said, Is this your own idea or is this what others have told you about me? And actually, that's a really important question. Because you can't be a Christian second-hand. You have to make your own decision. 
We need to be clear about what a decision to follow Jesus really means because, apart from anything else, we need to be able to explain it to our friends and neighbours. It's like this. Because we, as in the whole of humanity, have chosen to live for ourselves instead of living for God, as we were designed to do, there's a blockage between people and God which is often referred to as sin. Another thing that we do that offends God is added into that blockage. However, Almighty God, the God and creator of the whole universe, has demonstrated that he loves us so much, he was prepared to die for us in order to make a way for the blockage to be removed so that we can be in relationship with him now and we can live with him forever in the future. We all at some time need to make a decision whether or not to accept his offer of eternal life and allow him into our lives and commit ourselves to serve him forever. So the decision that I've been wittering on about is quite simply this. Are we or are we not going to let him into our lives as Lord and commit to serving him? It involves turning away from our previous way of living where we're in charge of ourselves and allowing Jesus to be Lord of all of our lives. So we need to think about how this works out. Earlier in the service, we heard, actually I don't think we did hear it today, but we often hear that Jesus said the first commandment is this. We did hear it, I just wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. In other words, love and serve God with all we are and all we have. And the second is to love our neighbours as ourselves. In Matthew 16:24, which is just a few verses further on from our reading today, Jesus says, If anyone wants to follow me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And in the equivalent passage in Luke's gospel, which is Luke 9.23, it actually says, take up your cross daily. Now, taking up your cross suggests an element of sacrifice. So we're taking a decision to put serving God ahead of pleasing ourselves and making ourselves comfortable. This includes letting God be in charge of the way we spend our time and the way we spend our use, use our resources. But this isn't a sacrifice that makes you miserable. It's a case of joyful obedience and a sense of purpose in living to serve God and other people. Jesus goes on to say in verse 25 of Matthew 16, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. And losing your life doesn't just mean dying or being martyred. It means laying down your life in sacrificial service. And as a result, we find real life. Life in all its fullness, as Jesus calls it in John 10, verse 10. 
Christians are people who follow Jesus, who are learning to be like him and trying to be obedient to him in thoughts and words and actions. It's called discipleship. It's a journey. We learn how to follow him and be more like him as we go. And hopefully we are becoming more like him. We do need help with this though. So now Jesus has gone back to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit to help us remember what he said when he was here. And also what he's still saying now. So Jesus is asking, who do you say that I am? If we believe that he's who he says he is, that is the son of God or the human manifestation of God, we should do something about it. Because his next question is, will you come and follow me? So how should we respond to this? For many of us, it's old news. We've been following Jesus for ages. Yet, it's always good to have a review and to look again at whether we've actually allowed him to be Lord of all of our lives or whether there are still some areas of our lives or our time or our activities or our habits or our wallets that he's actually not yet in charge of. Jesus wants to be Lord of it all. Some people may be a little bit uncertain of whether they've made a decision to follow Jesus or not. And some will be well aware that they haven't. In which case, there's no time like the present. But for the rest of us, it's always good to review, to look back, to think. Is there something I'm holding back from Jesus? So we're going to have a minute of silence so we can ask God to show us whether there are areas in our lives that we haven't handed over to him that he wants us to, or to consider whether we want to hand over our lives for the first time to follow Jesus. So we'll have a minute of silence, and then I'll pray a prayer. Let's be quiet. So here's the prayer. I'll read it through so that you know what it says, and then you can decide whether you want to pray it with me. Father God, I recognize that Jesus came to earth as God's son and suffered a horrible death for me. Thank you that you have dealt with sin and all the wrong things I have done can be, can, can be forgiven when I confess them to you. I am sorry for the things I've done which have offended you. I want to invite you into my life to be the Lord of all of me and all I have. I want to live for you and serve you and follow Jesus. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit to help me to be more like Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to read it again slowly. And if you want to, you can echo each line after me in your heart in silence. Father God, I recognize that Jesus came to earth as God's son. And suffered a horrible death for me. Thank you that you have dealt with sin. And all the wrong things I have done. 
can be forgiven when I confess them to you. I am sorry for the things I have done which have offended you. I want to invite you into my life to be the Lord of all of me and all I have. I want to live for you and serve you and follow Jesus. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit to help me to be more like Jesus. Amen.